Hey everyone, and welcome to the Renaissance Podcast. Our goal at Renaissance is to expose the heart of our city to the truth and love of Jesus. And if you want to be a part of that, then follow us on social media by searching Renaissance Decatur, or you can connect with us at renaissancedecatur.org. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Let's get started. Welcome to Renaissance. My name is Jeff. I am one of the pastors here, one of the leaders, and it's so great to see all of you. Um, I'm a big fan of uh, crime, suspense, novels, stories, movies, John Grisham, Law and Order, SVU, Law and Order, everything else. Anyone? Uh, I don't come and heckle you at your work. I'm just saying. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But I, I love that sort of stuff, and there's this... Um, Every once in a while, something will happen, like in the, in the story, where someone commits a crime, uh, allegedly, and the, the defense attorney for that person will come before a judge and say, listen, we need to move this trial someplace else, because my client would never get a fair trial here, because everything's been played out in the media these last few weeks. You know what I'm talking about? And that what he's trying to say is like, I'm desperate for the truth, in this situation to be heard by everyone, but the only way we can do that is if we go to a different place because some of these people are already prejudiced against my client. And this attorney is desperate to get a fair shake, a fair hearing for his client. Uh, today we're studying again in the book of 1 Corinthians. This is the Apostle Paul writing a letter to Christians in a city called Corinth. And the last few weeks that we've been studying this, we've been hearing the Apostle Paul share with us that his greatest desire in everything that he does for the Lord is that the gospel of Jesus would get a fair hearing before the people. That the gospel of Jesus would not be hindered in any way. In fact, last week we're studying the, the, Paul's writings as he's saying things like this. I have certain rights as an apostle over you people in the church. And he went through the whole list of things. One of them was this. He says, I, I could take from you an offering. I could demand from you payment as an apostle and as the leader of your church, but I refuse to take that payment from you, if you will, because I don't want that to be used as any stumbling block to the preaching of the gospel. He doesn't want anything to be an offense for people hearing the gospel. Um, now, when I first heard that, I thought, that's sort of an interesting take. Can I share something with you? I, I'd written this down. I did not intend to share it with the first service, but since I shared it with them, and we're all one big family, I should probably share it with you. Is this okay? Too late. I'm doing it anyways. <laughs> um, I don't look at the giving records every week. As the lead pastor of the church, I don't see the checks that come into the church. They don't come across my desk. Uh, now, hear me. I could. I absolutely could. But I choose not to. I choose not to look at the people who give. And here's one of the primary reasons why. Number one, I don't want to get bogged down in some of that stuff, although I think it's important. But number two is I never want the giving record of a person to influence in any way how I treat that person. To be very frank with you, in my mind, you are all the greatest givers this church has ever seen. Some of you don't give at all. Some of you give more than five families here. 
I'm convinced of it. I, I just have no idea who you are. And you can imagine how that could influence a person in my position. Let's say it's late in the evening. There's a phone call from a so-and-so who goes to the church and, hey, they really like to meet with you. They'd really like to, to get uh, together. I know it's late. I know it's family time for you. And, it's not. and in, the, in the Rolodex of my mind, I'm going through the giving records of that person going, are they really worth it right now? <laughs> oh, no other pastor would do that. I'm, I'm convinced. But I would. <laughs> so... Why are we laughing? So, so I choose not to know. I just choose not to know. I don't, I don't want to be, um, maybe manipulated is the wrong word, but I don't want to be coerced by that. And again, at any point I can look, so, you know, whatever, don't, <laughs> whatever. So, but I sense that's kind of what Paul's addressing with the church in Corinth. Like, like, as an apostle, I have a right to an offering from you. I could take that, but I just don't want that to be, um, used as a tool to manipulate me. Paul, we, we fund your ministry here, so you need to uh, quiet it down on this cultic temple stuff that you were talking about these last few weeks. You need to quiet it down on, on our freedoms, what we're allowed to do and what not to do. And, and so Paul just says, this is ridiculous. I want to preach the gospel of Jesus, and I want to do it unhindered, and I want everyone who hears it to not have an obstacle in the way. And so I'm not going to take an offering from you. And I think that's great. I think that's a very smart move on Paul's behalf. But know this, that when he's talking about no obstacles for the gospel, when he is desperate to say, I have rights over you, I just refuse to take them right now, he's doing so out of love for everyone. See, last week we talked about how uh, there's this thing called knowledge, right, that can puff a person up. And he talked about this with the church. Like, listen, your theology is right, the problem is you're not buttressing with that knowledge and right theology, love or care for other people. And because of that, you're causing a stumbling block for many people who would hear the gospel of Jesus. So he says it's the love component that is missing from you. The love issue should be the thing that motivates or animates truly everything that we do in the church, I would argue. In fact, to be very honest with you, as the Lord has been speaking to me this week, I'm beginning to wonder if, in fact, love is the animating force in my life. Or is it something altogether different? Jesus, when he's walking along the shoreline, when he begins to call some of his first disciples, he, see these, he sees these men fishing. It's their job, right? He's, they're casting nets into the sea, and Jesus just saunters by and says, hey, why don't you throw your nets down? and follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And in the midst of that, we, we hear that Jesus has a desire for them to participate with him in sharing salvation through himself to everyone that would hear it. And all of this is motivated by the same thing that motivated God to send his son to the earth. For God so loved the world. It is a motivation out of love. This is what is driving Paul, that every person would have the opportunity to at least hear the gospel presented with no offense or obstacle or stumbling block. Then they could make a decision to believe or not. And that's Paul's desire. And that would be my desire too, that we would be able to present the gospel of Jesus, the, the saving message of Jesus to everyone in such a way that people could hear it 
But I wonder if, I wonder if sometimes if that's not our motivation. I wonder if other times it's something altogether different. It's we're motivated by, can I be honest? Are we, are we just motivated? <laughs> I feel completely undressed right now. Or are we motivated by some other reality? Numbers, size of the church, budget, the cool church, the whatever church. Are we motivated by something other? Is our desire to capture the, the hearts of other people driven by something other than God's love for them? That, that's a question I have. That's the question that I, I was wrestling with this week as I was studying these words of Paul. He is so desperate to do anything, to take upon himself even um, punishment, hurt, struggle, financial strain, everything he's willing to absorb so that people would hear about Jesus. And I know what I'm about to talk about today is dangerously close to this line that I'm just going to sort of draw in the middle of the room. And, and I want us to stay on this side of said line. On that side of the line, there's a lot of shame and condemnation. You need to try harder, do better. You should know better, all this and that. I don't want us to be over here. I want us to be over here and to be more motivated, maybe again for the first time, that God loves everyone. He calls his disciples in Matthew 28 to go into the nations and save people. All the people, the brown ones, the white ones, the yellow ones, the dirty ones, the rich ones, the poor ones, all of them. Which is why I get so frustrated. We, okay, we don't know what's going to shake loose from what happened in El Paso yesterday. We don't know what all of that was about, right? Was it uh, racially motivated? I don't know. Maybe. But I know this. <laughs> Racism in any shape or form has no place in the church of Jesus. It has no place in there. Somehow Christians could wave a banner of solidarity under Christ and yet say others aren't worthy of the expression of love and grace towards them in the message of Jesus. They're, they're waving a whole other Jesus flag, I'm just saying. And, and the great thing? is Jesus, as the judge, will deal with it. He just will. I think for us, it's just to guard our hearts and, and to hear the, the words even of Paul. is I'll do all things for all people, so by, by any means I can save some people, I can reach some people. And this is the message of Paul today. We're motivated out of care and compassion for others. So I want to read... 1 Corinthians 9, starting verse 19, we'll read through 27, I think, and we'll just talk a little bit about some of the words of Paul. You can follow along on the screen here if you don't have a Bible in front of you. Verse 19, Paul writes, For though I am free from all, or from every person, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. 
To the Jews, he said, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though I myself am not under the law. I did that, that I might win those under the law. Verse 21, to those outside of the law, I became as one outside of the law, though I'm not being outside of the law of God, under the, but, but rather under the law of Christ. He says, I did that, that I might win those outside of the law. And to the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. Here it is, the conclusion of this little paragraph. I, Paul, have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. And I do it all for the sake of the gospel, and that I too may share with them in its blessing. Do you not know, verse 24, that in a race all of the runners run, but there's only one who receives the prize? So he says, run, that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things, and they do this to receive a perishable wreath. But we, he says, as Christian, our, Christians, our prize is an imperishable one. So I do not, he says, run aimlessly. And I do not box as one just beating at the air. I discipline my body, I keep it under control, lest, after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. In this is a heart of an apostle that I believe is birthed from a true understanding of the gospel of Jesus that is for everyone. And I want us to pray that God would, um, again, lovingly keep us this side of the line, that we would be awakened to what God asks for us, but not feeling any shame or guilt or condemnation because we've done a pretty poor job up to this point. Is this okay? Unless you guys just rather stay over here and I could get out the bat and just go bang, bang. <laughs> I'll be first in line, just so you know, over here. So this is what we want. So let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your son, Jesus, who has come to rescue us. Rescue us even from ourselves, God, that you have come to liberate us from the effects of sin, the sin cycle in our lives, and to uh, lead us into something altogether different for us. You, as a loving Father, have the best plan for us, and it is Jesus. And we thank you for your Son, Jesus. Jesus, we thank you for the Holy Spirit given to all of us in the church that we would hear from you, that we'd be motivated by you. Our eyes would be opened if they were blind. Our ears be opened if they are deaf. And God, we would know that you are speaking to us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Paul is being criticized, just by way of reminder again, um, in, in the church of Corinth, that maybe he's not the apostle that he says he is. In fact, some of the criticism against Paul is that he seems to be pretty wishy-washy with some of the people he hangs out with. Anybody resonate with that at all? I'm the only one. Okay, anyways. So he's hanging out with a bunch of different people, and they're going, Paul, you're just inconsistent. And the reality is, Paul has this sort of chameleon-like ability to move between cultural groups, socioeconomic groups, different ethnicities, all the while sharing the truth of Jesus amongst them all. And he does so out of this one desire to win some for Christ. 
It says in verse 19, I want to win more for Christ. Verse 20, I want to win Jews for Christ. I want to win those under the law for Christ. Verse 21, I want to win those not under the law for Christ. Uh, Verse 22, I want to win the weak for Christ. He wants to win all of them for Christ. What's interesting about this Greek word that is translated as win is underneath it and hidden almost in its meaning, it has a sort of financial undertone to it. It's almost could be translated profit or to make a gain. In fact, that word is used by Jesus himself when he was explaining to his disciples a parable of a man who had some property. The story goes like this in Matthew 25. This man with property is going to leave for a season, for a while, we don't know how long, and he takes some of his property and gives it to his servants. To one servant, he gives five talents. To another, he gives two. To another, he gives one. And the story plays out that the person with five talents immediately invested it, began to barter with it, began to trade with it. And when the landowner came back, he said these words, I've taken your five talents and I have made five more. That word made is the word win. It is a gain. It is an increase. Now I want you to consider this for a moment. If the parable applies to our lives at all. Jesus, I'll just go out on a limb here. Jesus is the landowner. Jesus is going away for a while. Anybody seen Jesus this week? He gone. He out there somewhere doing what Jesus only can do. And while he's away, he has entrusted some of his servants, look around, with something. It's a message, I would argue. The talents that I, in my metaphor here, would be the message of Jesus, the gospel, the saving work of Christ. And we have it. And should the land order come back, should Jesus return, what should we say to him when he comes back? That we have immediately taken what you've given us and used it to produce an increase, a gain. Have we profited for him with his message? This is Paul's motivation. I want to profit for King Jesus. I want to profit for the work that God has done. This is why I do this. Know this, this is more than just Paul like putting together a philosophical idea into the marketplace of ideas that are in the world around him. This is something altogether different. And we know it's different because at the end of his little paragraph, I think in verse 22, he changes the verb from win some, I want to win some, I want to win some, to I do all things for all people that in all ways or all things I might what? Save some. So it's in this moment, it's more than just um, winning the argument, being theologically right. It's this, this speaks to the soul's eternity of the people around us. This is a greater thing than we could possibly ever consider. This is more than just us filling the seats here in the church with more people like us. This is taking the message of Jesus out there and transforming the lives of those who don't know about him. given you something, what are you using it for? Again, here's the line. We're going to be over here. We're going to be encouraged to move out and do things. We're not going to feel guilt and shame for not having done well at this in the past. 
But all of a sudden, our eyes are being opened to this reality. God has entrusted us with something, a message of Jesus. And Paul being criticized for going in and out of all of these different culture groups, Jews and Gentiles and under the law and not under the law and all kinds of crazy stuff. He's willing to do what maybe most people aren't. Willing to take the gospel to a people group that would receive it. Uh, several years ago, I shared this story before. Um, I sensed strongly inside of me that God was asking me to plant a church. Now, I went to one of my good friends. He's in the room now. I'm waving at him right now. Bart, wait, wait, wave your hand. I'm talking about you right now. Just wake up. Okay, so I go to my friend Bart, who's a dear friend of mine, and he says these words to me. Jeff, does Decatur need another church? Now, inside, I had some choice words for my friend. I didn't say them out loud, but hear, hear what I hear when, he's, when he says this to me. He's not challenging the idea of another church. He's really asking me, does God want another church in town? And if so, why? It's like parents asking their kids, is this the college you want to go to? Are you sure about this? Have you thought this through? Have you considered this? That's what I'm hearing from Bart as we sit at Culver's eating fried cheese curds. Say amen. <laughs> Did I ever thank you for that lunch, by the way? Thank you, Bart. But he challenges me. Jeff, there's 160 other churches in the city. Does God really need another one? Except inside of me, I just heard this refrain from the Lord. Jeff, if you start a church, and if it looks different, and if it sounds different, then I will draw people to it to hear the message of Jesus. That's all I knew. There are other churches doing many great things in the city, and I, I pray for those pastors all the time. I prayed for them this morning, that the gospel of Jesus be presented truthfully, faithfully, that the text not be abused for man's gain that this is the story of Jesus Christ who saves the world, and that would be preached in this city. That's what I ask for. But for us, God is asking it, us to do it a little differently. We're willing to go reach a different people group. This seems to be the motivation for Paul. If I'm around Jewish people, then I will absorb or adopt back onto myself the Mosaic ceremony laws, even though he knows Jesus has fulfilled all of the Mosaic law. He'll eat kosher again is what that means. Hear me. He gives up bacon for Jesus. <laughs> He's a bigger man than me. This is fun. This is good. But he goes to the people sort of bound by the Mosaic law who somehow have this understanding that their relationship with God is based on all the rule following. In the midst of that, Paul jumps in with them. And he says, yes, I know all about that. And while he's in there with him, he begins, to, he begins to present the gospel of Jesus and loosening them from the false ideas of what a real relationship with God is. He will become a Jew to win the Jews to Christ. And then he'll go the next day on Tuesday, he goes over to where the Gentiles or the, the non-Jewish people are. And they've got a whole other idea of what the world looks like in God and all this and that. And when he's with those people, he sits with them and talks their language. He waxes philosophical with all of them as they strive after life's meaning. And in the midst of all of that, while he's enjoying a BLT in Jesus' name, a BLT in Jesus' name, he begins to tell them that life actually has another purpose, that there's a higher a call on your lives that's even, check this, beyond the natural here. The things that you see with your eyes, there's a whole other world. And the way to get there is through a man named Jesus. To the Jews, he becomes Jewish. To the Gentiles, he becomes a Gentile. And he preaches Jesus in the context 
of those places to save people. Save them from what? Sin, right? Church answer, sin. Save them to uh, uh, eternity, you know? We have to go spend heaven with God. It's that, but it's more than that. Did you know Jesus come to save you from yourself? Inside of you, if you're like me, there's this sin cycle. It's like a, the shampoo thing, lather, rinse, repeat. Like you have some victory over sin. You discipline it out of your life. I'm so mad that I did that last weekend, Decatur celebration. Anyway, so I'm so mad that I, I'm, I'll never do that again. And you like white knuckle it only for then a month you do it again. You're desperate to change and something inside of you just, just drives towards something. And you can't break free from it. Jesus comes that you'd be freed from that sin cycle. That he come to break that sin cycle in your life. Implant inside of you the, the power of God, the Holy Spirit, to equip you to live differently. Save you from what? Yourself. Save you from an eternity outside of God. John 3, 16. God so loved the world that he sent his son Jesus right, to the world, and that whoever would believe in him would gain what? Eternal life. So those people who do not know Jesus don't enter into eternal life and enter into what? Something else. What is it? Something else. We could debate this. We could do a whole series on this. In fact, this would be fun, actually, I think, to look into this. But just know this. Whatever this is, it ain't where God is. Whatever this looks like, it, it's not where God is. It's not the desire that God has for his people. It's not it. So Paul, willing to be abused, to not take what is rightfully his, to set himself a servant to all of these people. That's what he says in verse 19. He says, even though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all. That word servant is slave. It is the same word used in the Old Testament that describes the, the nation of Israel as they are held in bondage in Egypt. But know this, even though he is a servant to all of the people, even though he's a servant to the masses, the masses are not his master. You see that? I am, I am free from all. There's not one man who controls me in any way. Well, outside of who? King Jesus. So I submit myself to serve you forever. Till my last breath, I will serve you the gospel of Jesus because Jesus is my king and my Lord and he chooses for me. And this is Paul's lot. This is what he has to carry. This is his design by God that he would do this. Um, Alistair Begg, if you guys know the pastor Alistair Begg, he said this once about pastors. He says, the pastors are servants to the congregation. But the congregation is not the master of the pastor. And I went, amen, Jesus. <laughs> right? I mean, think about this. This is a similar type of call. That pastors, um, being lorded over by Jesus himself, are, are willing to surrender and submit to the service of people. Care for them. Shepherd them. Equip them help them. But that, that does not entitle those out there to control the pastor, just like he's saying to the church in Corinth, I'm doing these things, serving Jesus, not you guys. 
I think I think this is the miss for me. I think this is what's missed in my life as of late, that I, um, I've made my work, my vocation is the church. Y'all pay my salary, thank you. God bless you. But I've forgotten that I actually work for Jesus. And should this thing dry up and blow away, please God, don't let it happen. I would still be gainfully employed by Jesus. <laughs> is this true? And yet, for some reason, the last many months, maybe even year or so, there's just been this creep towards, I'm, I'm working for another. I'm working for the people. I'm working for the... And I'm not. I'm working for Jesus. I'm serving you. And if it doesn't feel like I'm serving you, then I have failed you. <laughs> if it ever appears like I'm somehow in control over you, I'm not. I'm serving you. This appears to be the external motivations for Paul. All things, for all people, by all means, that some might be saved. Externally, this is the motivation. Internally, he changes metaphors and goes to this whole other Greco-Roman amphitheater track and field event, if you will. In Corinth, there's a, um, some games that came around every two years, much like the Olympic Games, they are called the, the Isthmus Games, every two years. In fact, in 51 AD, Corinth hosted the Isthmus Games. That's so hard for me to say. And it's, scholars believe Paul was there in 51 AD in Corinth when these games took place. And in those games, much like the Olympic Games, there are athletes that go out and run. And they do all of these different track and field events. And look what he says in verse 24. He says, do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? Now, this is obviously not in America where everyone gets a trophy, right? <laughs> so I read this this week. Did you know you do not win a silver medal? You lose the gold. That's what that is. Or like we used to say, you know what they call second place? The first loser. That's the, what he's saying. There's a prize and one person gets it. And this prize in their day was this wreath made of leaves or something. Celery, maybe, I don't know. <laughs> that would be awesome, like wilted celery on anyways and some ranch and some ranch. That's what the first place would be. <laughs> Is it lunchtime? I'm... And he says, whatever this thing is that you receive for winning, for finishing first, is perishable. Yay, look at him go. Yay, look at him go. Yay, look at him go. But eventually all of that fades and withers away. But he says, we, as Christians, believers, saved by Jesus, we, we get a different prize. And he says it's an imperishable prize. I any guess as to what the prize might be? I any... Any guess who the prize might be? It's Jesus. He's the prize. There's this 
thing at the end of our life, when we cross the tape of the finish line and we enter into eternity where God is, Jesus stands there waiting for us. The Bible all throughout scripture talks about the wedding that takes place between Jesus, the bridegroom, and the church, his bride. You and I, we receive Jesus as the prize. If we win. If we win. This is the, the, the heartfelt motivation in Paul that there are people out there who do not know that there's a real race and a real finish line and a real prize Jesus to be had. And so he will desperately do whatever's necessary to tell them that story. He also likens it to a, a boxer who, who goes in and is punching to, to no effect. This is like me punching in my dreams. Anyone? Can you hit people in your dreams? It's crazy. And I've been real angry with people in my dreams before and not been able to punch them. I'm the only one who has this thing? <laughs> like, psychiatrists talk about this. Anyways, it's different than that. He, he says, it, the, we as believers, we don't fight like that. We fight effectually. We, we make a dent when we hit. We win races when we run. We, we command our bodies. We discipline our bodies to do things, and they do. This is what a Christian looks like. This is what the Christian life looks like. Metaphorically, it's like an athlete. And some of you are like, phew, metaphorically, right? Yes. <laughs> it's, it's a picture of what it looks like. But it's this. It's intention. It's purpose. It's knowing there's a finish and a prize. And we forget. We, we grab a hold of what we think is ours and we forget about everyone else. We forget about the nations that Jesus has called us to. We forget about others. And maybe forget about them is too strong a word. Maybe we've been sort of coerced to leave them alone. Why are you hanging out with those people? Hmm? Somehow we've become the barometer as to who's worthy of being <laughs> saved or not. And Paul's motivation is like, brother, hear me. There will be no stumbling block on my behalf, no obstacle because of me. I'll do whatever is necessary to get the message of Jesus to those people. And I wonder if the church could do the same. I wonder if we personally could do the same and then corporately do the same. Can we, can we as a church do that? Can we be willing to do whatever it takes to reach whomever God wants to reach? I think so. So for Paul's, I'm finishing here, just come in. For Paul, these are the external motivating factors. There's a prize out there in the future. And that should motivate us too, that we want to finish well. Paul uses that language elsewhere in the New Testament. I want to finish the race set before me, right? But there's another motivation for us as well. And it's not out there in the future. It actually happened 2,000 years ago-ish. And on a hill called Calvary, Calvary, um, Jesus allowed himself to be punished for you and for me. As Roman soldiers whipped him and beat him, 
placed the crown of thorns upon him and then eventually outstretched his arms to put spikes through them in his feet and lift him up on this cross, this torture device, this execution device, Jesus willingly absorbed the punishment for sin, for your sin, upon himself. And he, and he did that once and for all. And so the motivation is not just finishing well the, the race before us, but we should be motivated by what God has already done for us. 2,000 years ago, Christ went to a cross for your sin from last week. You know what I'm talking about? You do? <laughs> do tell. <laughs> not just the sin from last week, but the sin from next week. And the sin from next week, and the sin from next week, what God has done through his son Jesus is to literally rip sin out of the equation from God the Father who looks at us no longer as detestable, dirty, sinful people, but pure and clean and spotless. See, the only thing separating you and I from God is sin, and Jesus comes in and takes that away. See, a, a motivation for us is not just what he's done for us, but the freedom that that gives us is available to other people as well. Oh, dude, it's done. It's done. There's a, there's, a, there's a religion out there that says you have to try harder, work more, give more, do more, be more socially involved, more, more culturally aware, and all of that. I'm just saying those things are great, but that's not salvation. Salvation is Jesus. Jesus, breathing his last on the cross, saying these words, it is finished. The very task that God has sent his son to the earth to fulfill is done. Of course, you know the story. They put him in a grave. On the third day, he is risen. He's been raised from the dead. As Sam said earlier, as Christ has been raised from the dead, we too have been raised from the dead into newness of life. All of this is available to us and to others. So I bring up those things because I want to take communion today. Today is the first Sunday of the month. And it just means as a church family, we gather to celebrate all of those things that God has made available to us through Jesus. Jesus, on the eve of his arrest, He's sitting with his disciples in what we call the Last Supper, and he takes a loaf of bread because that's what they had at dinner. You know, it's like this thing. He breaks the bread. He, he gives thanks to God for it and then passes it around to all the disciples at the table, and he says, I want you to eat this bread, and I want you to remember that I broke it. And as you eat the bread, I want you to think about this. Um, this is a picture of my body that will be broken for you. Now, of course, the disciples are like, what, what? I have no idea what you, what you mean, but now we know. That Christ's body was broken for them. Christ's body was broken for us. And so when we celebrate communion, we're going to pass this little tray. It has little bitty oyster crackers, bread, right? And, and you're, you're welcome to join with us and celebrate what God did 2,000 years ago. So when the, the plate passes, you just grab a hold of a cracker and just hold on to it. And then right after that will be another little tray with little bitty cups of juice. Jesus at that last supper took a glass of wine. That ruins some of your theology right there. I'm just saying. <laughs> he takes a glass of wine and, and he takes a drink and he passes it around. He says, now I want you to drink this. This is a symbol of my blood, of the new covenant that I'm going to usher in through the cross. 
That the covenant previously was work, 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 religion, 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 rules, 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 but I'm going to fulfill all of that in my own self, in my own body, and you've been liberated from that. So drink this cup and remember me. And both the bread and the wine, he says, do this in remembrance of me. Ladies and gentlemen, it's all about him. It's about him and everything. Paul understood it. I used to understand it better. Some of you need to understand it better too. It's all about him. When we have our eyes fixed on him alone, nothing else matters. Hardship, toil, financial, any, nothing matters when we're doing this. Are we good? Are we, we still on this side? In Jesus' name, if anyone feels like shame or condemnation, in Jesus' name, I rebuke it. It is not what God intends for you today. If you feel sorry that you came to church today, it is, it is not God talking to you. It is something else. And in Jesus' name, I rebuke it. What does that mean? That's a whole other sermon. Anyways. <laughs> okay, when I pray, they're going to come forward to grab the elements, the cracker and the juice, and they're going to pass them to you. Again, grab a hold of them, hold on to them. And when the band comes back to sing a song or two, you're welcome to take communion, to take that cracker and put it in your teeth crush it like Jesus' body was crushed and you're, you're um, able to take that juice and drink it remembering that Jesus' blood was shed for you and your sin has been removed. And we celebrate. If you feel like this is somber, you're in the wrong church. I'm just saying this is a celebration of what God has done for us in his son Jesus. So let's pray together and they'll come forward. God, you are so good to us that from your vantage point in heaven, you looked upon us and saw that there was no hope for us if you didn't intervene. <laughs> and Jesus is that intervention. But Jesus has come to destroy the works of sin and shame and guilt and to help us be free from all of that. God, we thank you for your son, Jesus. We celebrate his broken body and shed blood today. God, I, I pray that, that our lives be reoriented back to, um, to that which motivated Paul, that all people have the opportunity to hear the gospel, and we want to do so that they would understand it. There'd be no um, hindrances or stumbling blocks on our behalf. God, make us people present Jesus truthfully, hopefully, faithfully, God. Make this church to be a church known for its gospel message of Jesus. Of all the things we're known for, God, make us to be a church that preaches Jesus Christ alone. God, we thank you for everything that you've done. We thank you for what you will do for us in the future. We praise your holy name. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.
Thank you for listening to this podcast. We're so excited to see the things that God is doing in our community. And if you're looking for a way to get involved in that, then please go to rendicator.org and make a commitment to being a part of showing the people of Decatur the truth of Jesus and how much he loves them.